0: Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly. Sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. We're in
1: for our regular gig. We'll take you all the way to 11 o'clock. We'll, we'll join the show for a little while.
2: Look who's in town. How are you? It's Michael Kelly in town. There's something you don't see every day. Buddy, I,
1: I've i been with you. Uh, well, I guess I wasn't with you on Monday night. You were not? There. That's all right. Yeah. You
2: were taking care of important business matters, I'm sure.
1: I was taking care of important business. We've got, uh, boy, we've got a full day. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but mm-hmm. there's a football game on Sunday. I am aware. And uh, we've got our Philadelphia Eagles and our Kansas City Chiefs uh, yes. taking on each other. Philadelphia, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. That game kicks off, what, like five something out in Arizona? Seven
2: will be the opening kickoff uh, in, from Arizona. In the, uh, Tell Florida's
1: us who's going to win.
2: Me? Yep. Oh, it's going to be the Eagles.
1: Unfortunately, I think you're right. Uh, now, that doesn't mean I'm rooting for the Eagles. Uh, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. You are. But I do believe the Eagles are going to win this yeah, game. Yeah, I well.
2: mean, you know, I think that the Eagles' defense is far superior. Yeah, the Chiefs have the better quarterback. And, you know, not a lot, a lot's been talked about Patrick Mahomes' ankle, but not as much has been talked about Jalen Hurts' shoulder. Remember, he had that shoulder problem, missed a couple of games. And really, through the course of the playoffs, he hasn't looked like the same quarterback, and you wonder if that shoulder might be a a bit of a nagging injury for him. But uh, if you just look at these teams, a lot of weapons on offense for both. Eagles have a slightly better running game. Could be important, especially if they get a lead in in the second half. And the Eagles' defense, and I think I think the line play, both offensive and defensive lines, the Eagles are the better team there. And more often than not, uh, the O line and the D line decide who's going to win these games. So I'm going with the Eagles. Yeah,
1: I too am going with the Eagles. Let's talk about the important stuff. What are you going to eat?
2: Oh, that's the best. So our whole thing, we do the Super Bowl at home. Right. Ditto. My family and uh, and it's. All appetizers, ooh, and amazing. Georgian makes these blue ribbon roll ups, man. It's spinach. I don't know what the heck she puts in a crack. I mean, it's just amazing, wrapped in bacon. Ooh, and uh, ooh, is yeah. So I'll be munching. I'm on gonna
1: those. try to bother one of my sisters. She she makes these like loose meat uh, sandwiches oh, yeah. that Tastes are like White Castle. They taste I've like White the, Castles. Colleen. You put a yeah, Colleen. I think she gets those Hawaiian rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then you put the meat in there yeah, with I've the. Had-
2: uh, French onion soup, yes. and then they taste.
1: Yes. One up, tasting like. A, I may try to make those on Sunday.
2: Oh, there you go. You can do your uh, your tenderloin.
1: I uh, know, but it's, oh. it's just you know, it's going to be a small group, so I don't think I'm going to cook a whole tenderloin. But I'm definitely going to uh, enjoy eating on Super Bowl Sunday. I, you know, I wonder if it almost rivals uh, Thanksgiving for the grocery stores in terms well, of people to. putting together yeah. food yeah. and. Because it, it's something we can all agree on, even if you're not into football. And, and the Super Bowl is one of those games that even people who don't like football watch watch the Super Bowl, right? Well,
2: exactly right. And it's going to be, uh, could be a good one for for a change. You know, the Super Bowl usually is not that competitive. And it takes forever with all the commercials and a three-hour long halftime show. Uh, if you're a true football fan, it's not the easiest game to watch. but. Well, I'll be watching it.
3: It's Matt Paulie, and I'll be in Jupiter,
1: Florida at Cardinal Spring Training this coming Monday. I'll be bringing you the latest from Redbirds Camp with reports mornings and afternoons and sports open line weeknights from the TR Hughes
0: Homes Broadcast Center. Spring Training coverage, sponsored in part by Wilkie Window and Door. On your home of the Cardinals, KMOX.
1: It's Friday, it's Super Bowl weekend, and it's Hancock and Kelly. And as we do every week at this time, we do our political segment. And John, the 46th president of the United States, made his way to the United States Capitol on Tuesday evening to deliver the State of the Union. You had a critique that he has not proposed a budget. Yes. Uh, my critique is that he didn't really say anything too controversial. Uh, it was kind of a, uh, a happy speech. Yeah. Uh, behavior was poor. Um and this country is extremely divided.
2: It is. Uh I find it interesting. I I don't know if you've seen this polling while you were uh, <clears throat> down south. Uh but there was some polling that came out that ask about his accomplishments because I've heard you speak eloquently to how accomplished you think this president has True. been. True. Uh but something like 62 or 63% yeah. of the of the public don't think he's accomplished. Much. But don't
1: you think that's reflective of the general mood of the country and the stock market and the and, wrong track numbers uh, and, yeah.
2: and and of course inflation continues to I mean
1: to... presidents get they get the credit for the economy and they get the blame for the economy and uh, this president's no different. Um, anybody who's looked at their 401k over the last 12 14 months you here Realizes that we're uh, we're seeing a huge uh, loss uh, in that, and then not to mention that the whole world is in a global uh, inflationary cycle. Um, so yeah, the president's not too popular, but I got to tell you, when he does a matchup head to head with the front runner for the Republicans, he
2: walks away with it. Well, I do think I do think Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump in a, in a national election. I don't know that there's any other Republican that he would be able to defeat. Uh, Come 2024, it looks like Michael Lindell. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like uh, it's full speed ahead on the reelect, though. Uh, Well,
1: it sure appears that way. I'm I'm shocked. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be the case. I mean, there's still a lot of uh, innings to be played, if you will. But we have started the slide towards the 2024 election. Towards the end of this year, we'll have people voting. You have to go out and start raising your money. Glad-handing folks in some of those early states. Heck, but we haven't even figured out which early states we're going to be going to first.
2: Well, right, and it's going to be different, it looks like, now for both parties. The Republican field's starting to fill up a little bit. Uh, We're going to see Nikki Haley getting in. Uh, It's it's quite clear that Ron DeSantis is running for president, and there'll probably be uh, several others. All of that could enhance the uh, likelihood that Donald Trump prevails, but there's a long way to go and a lot of fields to plow. Joe Biden... uh, during that state of the state, state of the union message, got into a little uh, kerfuffle with Republicans uh, over the Social Security and Medicare issue. I think it was a disingenuous argument. We talked about it last segment. Uh, you thought it was probably the highlight of the night, right? Well, I,
1: absolutely. Anytime the Republicans are out there having to defend that they're not for cutting Social Security and Medicare, when in fact they had a plan by the the Republican leader of the Senate Campaign Committee. Uh, That would have been Rick Scott from Florida. Most elderly people in the entire country reside in the state of Florida. Mitch McConnell agreed that that's what he proposed. Listen to this.
0: Well, unfortunately, that was the Scott plan. That's not a Republican plan. That was the Rick Scott plan. The Republican uh, plan, as I pointed out last fall, if we were to become the majority, there were no plans to raise taxes on happy American people or to sunset Medicare or Social Security. So it's clearly the Rick Scott plan. It is not the Republican plan. And that's the view of the Speaker of the House as well. I think we're in a more authoritative position uh, to state what the position of the party is than any single senator.
3: So Rick Scott's really not back in the fold yet after he ran against you for leadership? Well, this doesn't
0: have anything to do with that. I mean, it's just a bad... Well, unfortunately, that was the...
2: well, then there you have it, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, make no mistake, there's a lot of bad blood there. Rick Scott ran against McConnell for a uh, Republican leader in the Senate. He and, lost. And from all
1: reports, our two senators from Missouri, both Josh Holly and Eric Schmidt, sided with Rick Scott and not Mitch McConnell. So they, too, may have to own this conversation about Social Security and Medicare.
2: Yeah, I you know, McConnell overstated a little bit there what Scott's proposal. What Scott wants to do is sunset every government program. Oh, that sounds smart. Well, it's you know ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's uh, it's it's a prudent uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, we have sunset in Missouri. Sunset legislation all the time passes because just because you pass something. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't have to re-examine it every five wow. or ten years. Well, boy, I
1: like that argument and, as it relates to
2: guns. Uh, well, I'm yeah, for it. it should, Let's go and, every five years and
1: renegotiate
2: what we do if, on if, guns. If the if the law is worth having and it's worth keeping, then it should be no problem to keep it. And so, you know, as a conceptual matter, I don't have a problem with these kinds of sunset
1: laws. But you have to agree, though, for the Democrats uh, who you you mentioned it. The polling doesn't look good for the former or for the current president. Yep. Um, this is a battle that the Democrats want to have. Of if the next two years is about Social Security and Medicare, and Republicans can't hold their mouths uh, as it relates to, you know, believing that we need to reform it, cut it. That's not popular with the American people. Joe Biden did a very good job making that the the, the, the conversation we should have for the next
2: year. years. Yeah, and of course, there was never a plan for of Republicans to do anything with Social Security and Medicare. Both McConnell and McCarthy prior to the speech had said so publicly. And yeah, so, but these people don't have
1: control of their own
2: caucus, John, well,
1: and, and their their, the
2: their caucuses have been coming up with this. Rick Scott has
1: a plan. It was there. It's in a pamphlet. You can go look at it online. This is what he wants to do. And, it, the, the you know, for I hear you. I hear what you're saying. The Speaker of the House and the leader are saying that's not the case. These aren't guys who have control of their own caucuses.
2: Well, McConnell has pretty decent control of his caucus, uh, despite the fact that Scott ran against him. And, and a lot of what you heard in that audio was McConnell <laughs> getting his digs in. And, uh, you know, McConnell, if he is nothing else, is a cutthroat politician. Well, uh, I got mad respect for him. I mean,
1: I I don't care for his politics, but I do like – he's pelosi because I mean, they were both very good in turnings of understanding how to run the institution and keep their people in line. Of course,
4: a
2: big test for Kevin McCarthy is going to be this debt ceiling uh, bill that has to pass. McCarthy has said as much that it has to pass. He's trying to extract some spending cuts, not Social Security and Medicare – But he's trying to extract some spending cuts in conjunction with passing the debt ceiling. If he can navigate that and get to uh, an agreement with the president and Democrats and if he can hold his extreme members of his caucus together or enough of them together to get the debt ceiling done, uh, that's going to speak well of his leadership if he can't do those things. Uh it's going to be a pretty messy spring and summer. Let's
1: put a bow on the um uh the state of the union talk here as it relates to uh the conversation that we had with Debbie which is just the loss of decorum. That was pretty pathetic to watch and I know that you uh share my thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, I, I
2: don't I don't like seeing that. It's um you know, it's not helpful and the country is so divided and you just it's just uncalled for. It's not professional. It's not helpful. It does not speak well to the party out of power, whichever party it would happen to be at that time. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, so I didn't like to
1: We're that. having a raging debate about transgender and LGBTQ issues in this country, yep. uh, Republicans pushing heavy legislation in states uh, to limit the rights and uh, of folks that are part of those communities. Uh, but right here at Washington University this week, we had a, a really compelling article come out where a lady who had been involved in the transgender uh, practice that they have at Wash U. And very,
2: and very pro-transgender. Yeah.
1: Rights. Said, hey, we may be doing more harm than good um, and had some specific examples of where Wash U may have fallen down. She had reached out directly to our attorney general here in Missouri uh, I guess are we going to be uh, legislating what Washu's is up to
2: here? Well, I, well, certainly what they're doing. And, and this is a woman who is as pro-LGBTQ rights as you're going to find. She's very left of center in her own politics. She worked in that environment for four years, and what she saw were adolescent teens coming in uh, seeking to change their gender, many of whom were coming in with a multiple number of of issues, co- comorbidities, as it were, like eating disorders, depression, various different things, and you're talking about life-altering treatments that are given these kids when they're 12, 13, 14 years old, and it's it's hor- I mean, it's horrific if you read the piece. A post dispatch finally reported on it this morning, I think, uh, but. Yeah. Uh, but, I don't know what can be so, done, but it, what, what they're doing is wrong. But
1: is the answer going to be in the state houses of Jefferson City and every other capital in the country or is it going to make more sense? Look, I mean, any family who's who's dealing with this issue, um, we, I think we all would agree this is this is a hard place for families. I mean, you know, you're so out of the norm and you've got a child who believes uh, this and and maybe rightfully so what role does government play in this john shouldn't this be doctors and parents well, rather than that's what's going on at washu is doctors are doing i mean doctors and parents i'm suggesting i mean she pointed out some problems with the the parents not being included in right. a lot of the decision making process uh, that that seems to me more like an administrative issue that needs to be dealt with at washu what role does missouri you know the jefferson city legislature play kids. in this
2: protecting kids.
1: Yeah, but but kids some kids have this issue and what they're the, the answer the republicans have is
2: they want to move away from it. What shouldn't this be left to doctors? Uh, I I mean, doctors clearly if doctors were the answer you wouldn't have the problem that you've got at Washington University. So no, I don't think it's left to there are bad doctors just like there's bad police officers, or bad, you know, politicians, or bad talk show hosts. Uh <laughs> And so, no, I don't think it should be left to doctors.
1: There's a bad prosecutor in the city of St. Louis, uh, says the Missouri legislature. They're proposing, John, to take back a a lot of the the prosecutorial duties to the state from Kim Gardner. Uh, I've been lamenting the fact that I don't think Kim Gardner does her job. I think she's a poor prosecutor. I don't get what the Republicans, usually the party of local control. Now they want big government, big footing, everything. To come in here and and to decide what's best for the citizens of St. Louis. And in fairness to Kim Gardner, John, she was elected not once but twice by the voters of the city of St. Louis. Well, I think if
2: if you look at what's happening in St. Louis with crime, uh, the policing of it, and certainly the prosecuting of it, there's clearly a problem. And I don't think anyone that's honest with themselves can look at that and think otherwise. So the question becomes what then can the state do? And the things the state can do are the things that the legislature has proposed. Let's take control of the police department back and take it away from the defund crowd, which are now appointing the police board in St. Louis City. Uh, That's a positive step in the right direction. And if you're using a gun, if you're committing murder, a violent crime, and those cases are not being prosecuted right now, and they're not, then let's have a special prosecutor assigned to that jurisdiction to make sure that these evildoers are off the streets. And so I think it's reasonable legislation, and I think, it, in this case, it will be helpful.
1: I think it's going to pass. There's no doubt about it that. Way. Hey, we've got a full day for you. We're going to be talking about Valentine's Day. That's on Tuesday, but you haven't done your shopping yet, Hancock. Please. We're also going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to visit with my friend, former NFL referee Joe LaRue.
2: Official. He was, he was a what, a side judge? Line yeah, judge? line judge, yep. Okay, it's going to be fascinating. He was there at the Super Bowl. We'll hear from him next hour. All that and more right here on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly.
0: You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly. Sponsored by Inspirity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX.
1: Happy Friday, St. Louis. It's Super Bowl weekend, and it uh, feels like, you know, when it, every time the Super Bowl comes up, I hate, I love the Super Bowl, but yeah. I feel like I wish away my weekend to get to the Super Bowl. Huh. Uh, and, you know, and I don't appreciate the, the couple of days we have. Uh, no. Will you be spending the couple of days getting ready for the other major event that's coming up, Valentine's Day? Well, you
2: know, Valentine's is just another day on the calendar when you're, when you're as lovable as I am, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day. Is Valentine's Day. Yeah, to be married like, to be married to me is uh, is quite a gift.
1: Have you uh, mm-hmm. gone out to get your overinflated roses yet, or uh, a box of chocolates for the lovely and talented uh, Miss uh,
2: Georgian? I want to keep that confidential at this time. She might be and, listening. Uh, yeah, and uh, all the many <clears throat> gifts that I purchased uh, at I'll Walgreens. Like to keep that uh, between uh, me and me. It, you know, it's an unfair holiday. I mean it's a it's something that,
1: you know, we boys have to really step up here. Well the girls too. Really? Yeah, the girls. I feel like the onus of Valentine's Day is more on the male than the female. You do. Do you huh.
2: not? Well that's very uh that's very paternalistic of you.
1: Well, I don't know if it's paternalistic. I just think it's one of those things that, you know, and, and then you got the guy you got the one guy who shows everybody else up, right? Who sends the roses to the office. Yes.
2: Yes, and very infuriated. It,
1: right, and so now you're like, man, I am a dirt ball. Yeah. Here I am going to go get the roses and leave them on the counter. And and this guy sent them so that all of our friends can be like, oh, well, he's was, so great. I was
2: going to get the big balloon this year, but apparently that's out of favor <laughs> these days. So uh, I'm not going to do the balloon. I'll shoot it down. The, uh, the, the whole key is the dinner reservation. If you've not made your dinner reservation for Tuesday night by now, uh, you're probably out of luck. If you want to go to a fine dining establishment,
1: right? Well, but this is this is the one night of the year right. that even if you're a poor cook, oh, a Cracker Barrel might be your nice. your effort is is all that counts. So now you have a little trick sometimes, don't you? Order takeout and then put it in your own pan, and um, I have done that before. Come on, could talk us through how how I did somebody... that for our
2: thirtieth wedding anniversary. Yeah, what'd you do? So Jojan was uh, out and about all day, mm-hmm. uh, working right while she was out and about, I. Uh, Ordered up some uh, <clears throat> lamb chops from Napoli too, Ooh. and a couple of sides, a little appetizer, bottle of wine, white tablecloths on the uh, dining room table, candlelight. Mm. Put on a tuxedo. What I did? You got dressed in a tux? I, uh, did it fit? I had, yeah. I had the uh, lamb chops there in the uh, in the oven uh-huh. finishing up because they only cooked them halfway at Napoli yeah. too. Yeah, I right. really did that right. for me. Mm-hmm. So the smells, is wafting through the house there and the lamb chops and, the, and everything, and in, in she came, Yeah, and there I was. Did you hide all of the packaging, or did she kind of know that you may have had some help? Well, she certainly knew that I wasn't making lamb chops, I can I can assure you of that. I mean, had I made the lamb chops from scratch, they would not have been that good. Right. But, uh, it was, yeah, it was phenomenal. I won't be doing that for Valentine's Day, although that's not a bad idea. Yeah,
1: it's not a bad a idea. carry
2: out and finish up at home. It's kind of like a pizza. You know, you go buy those pizzas that, uh, you know, they were already made, and you just have to you pop them in You just cook them in. Yeah, yeah, cook them up. Now, uh, I it's have like a, a pizza, except it's slam chops.
1: I have a buddy of mine who goes to White Castles every year. I guess White Castles puts white tablecloths on the, the table Is that right and, for
2: Valentine's Day? And
1: it lights candles, and then now, people come I in. Can't and can't
2: remember the last time I set foot in a White Castle.
1: Well, that's because you usually get it through the, the, the takeout. The takeout. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, So I guess they do have tables in there, though.
1: Yeah. What's the best part of a White Castle?
2: Oh, uh, just the whole whole experience. No, it's the pickle, right? The pickle pickle adds some pop. There's no question about the pickle. Um, And then the onion. I mean, you know, you got the onion in the beef. It's uh, genius. Whoever thought of that? was genius.
1: Well, and, and you know, White Castle is one of those. If you don't like onion, you don't go to White Castle because the old place smells like, like onion. onion? I, I've got a brother-in-law of mine who who hates it. He hates he, onions. The, he'll say, he'll say, um, is there onions in this? Ugh. And I'm like, isn't
2: there onion in everything? For me. Yeah, I mean, the onion is maybe the perfect food. Really? It, yes. Oh, I don't know about that. There's nothing like make you get get cry. The onion taste in your mouth, Kelly. It's, nothing yeah, but it doesn't go like away. It. It's like garlic. I, I know. I love it. it. it you, you can yeah. kind of smell. No. I mean, it's... Uh, and it, and it enhances everything it touches. Right. Think about that. It's kind of, an onion is kind of like me. Uh, <laughs> everything it touches is better. And uh, yeah, and, and you just you can't beat I, it. And I when you have a hamburger,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you got to go with the thick cut onion. Oh, and not the little thin. You know, yeah. shave. that's your you know.
1: Well, uh, onion sticks with me. I don't know if it's my Irish genetics or what, but so does garlic. I mean, I have. If you go to get Garlic's some of great. these people eat roasted garlic. Yes. If I ate roasted garlic for the next three weeks, nobody would want to be around me.
2: I don't know, man. It's I pretty mean, good stuff.
1: because of the way I smell, yeah, not because you, of Yeah, but you
2: normally. know the best thing about onion and garlic and all those things? What's that? Is having a cigar afterwards. Ooh. I don't know what it is about the, you know, what's going on there. You cigar the smoker? Yeah. I You know, I was just uh,
1: away and uh, I mean, had an opportunity to play golf. Yeah. And my buddies were smoking cigars. There you go. And I've smoked a cigar or two in my life, but the problem with cigars for me is it sticks with me. I like, you well, You smoke point. that cigar, it's no, like but onion. I mean, like two two days later, I still have that taste and smell in my mouth, and yeah. I'm like, ugh, so I just don't touch them. You didn't have a cigar with your No, I didn't, I didn't have what a cigar. What were they smoking, do you know? I don't know. One of them's going to be in here in a little bit. Oh. We'll find out, but I'm sure it was good. I mean, these oh, yeah. these guys are good golfers. You know, you're going to be down there golfing, you got to... They had their how cigars. Was, how was
2: the golf game, by the
1: way? Uh, not so good. Really? No, but the weather was fabulous, yeah. and it was, uh, it was a nice little getaway. No, this was
2: like a tournament, the three. Years.
1: No, it was just the four of us. Well, the we played years. for some money, uh-huh. but I think everybody pretty much broke even by the time it was over with. Well,
2: that's a way to do it.
1: Yeah. Huh. It, was,
2: uh, it was an over. Did anybody o- a... Uh, get a hole-in-one?
1: No, nobody got a hole-in-one, <clears throat> no, nor have you.
2: <clears throat> I don't, you know, I don't like to talk, but yeah. uh, it was October of 1986. Through the clown mouth. No, over the a, windmill. It was a ninety-yard pitch and putt par three hole. Uh-huh. Pitch and putt. And, well, that's what they call it. It's a, it was a. It was a. Three, it was in his backyard. It James. was a par three golf course. little right. Par three golf course. Mm-hmm. It's a genuine, legitimate hole in one. It, but he hit the ball. The ball. Boom, it goes. Uh-huh. You know, floop, flop, floop on the ground. Yeah. Keyword the there
1: on the ground. It rolled up, went in. Yeah. Yeah, A hole-in-one. You should not buy any lottery tickets because you'll never win. That was your one time winning the lottery. Well, you
2: know, <clears throat> one hole-in-one is enough for a lifetime.
1: So that's John Hancock. Well, we're going to do a lot of stuff to prepare you for the next couple of days. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, some love talk coming up next. And who better Singers. to talk love with and to sing love
2: songs with than Hancock and Kelly? Well, it's the Ambassadors of Harmony they're going to be in. They're going to be doing some concertizing on, uh, in a, on and about Valentine's Day. And they're going to sing a little bit in studio Uh, You know, I used to play the piano for the a cappella choir. I did not know that. (laughs) Uh, There is no pianist (laughs) now. And former NFL official Joe LaRue is going to be with us. He has officiated a Super Bowl game. Uh, That's going to be The Lights Out Super Bowl. Remember that one? The Super Bowl uh,
1: in New Orleans.
2: I can't wait for that. All of that is coming your way, folks, and it's free for most of you right here on KMOX. (laughs) Now, back to Hancock and Kelly. Sponsored by Insterity.
0: HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120 KMOX.
1: And welcome back to KMOX. And uh, Tuesday, John Hancock and I have already been talking about the fact that we've got Valentine's Day. And, boy, we're going to put you in the mood.
2: Yeah. Have you got a Valentine this year there,
1: Kelly? You know me, John. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm trying to see if my mother and my sisters will accept again this year. <laughs> All right.
2: There you mm-hmm. go. Well, joining us in studio, boy, am I excited about this. They are called Tofu Concern. They're part of the Ambassadors of Harmony here in St. Louis. Donel Torres, who is the leader, and he's going to be talking about the Valentines. He's joined by his quartet. Uh, which include Sam Rinkenbaugh, Austin Stevens, and Marshall Crowell. And we appreciate all of you gentlemen joining us. Uh, Donnell, welcome to KMOX. Good to be here. So you guys are going to be performing all over the place on Valentine's Day. Exactly. Anyone who will hire us, we'll, we'll, we'll go and sing for you. And how would one go about hiring the Ambassadors of Harmony? singingvalentines.net.
4: We bought the domain and everything.
2: (laughs) Singingvalentines.net. You can hire them and there's four of them and they don't come cheap. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Well, let's uh, let's have, this will be the audition tape then for the Tofu Concern. We're going to be singing Let Me Call You Sweetheart.
4: Let me call you sweetheart I'm in love glowing in your eyes so true. Let me call you, sweetheart, I'm in
3: love.
2: Was magnificent. Okay. That was, ladies and gentlemen, Tofu Concerns doing "Let Me Call You Sweetheart," which is a classic of the barbershop era. uh Do we? Who wrote that piece? Do we know? The, I couldn't tell you. Was it, <laughs> I was. I want to say Percy Winrich. I could be wrong about. That. Let's go to the research department over there, James O'Sullivan, and figure out who the composer of that was. Uh, you all have been singing for how long? For about uh, a little over a year now. Yeah. Wow. And so the group just came together. Uh, I used to work with a barbershop quartet at Six Flags. They were strolling oh. around the park back in the day. I played the piano. And uh, so your repertoire includes what? A little uh, bit of everything?
4: A little bit of everything, yeah. Some musical theater, some uh, jazz classics, some barbershop classics, a lot of 50s, 60s stuff. Nice.
1: Uh, you're, all, you're all very young guys. How, how old is everybody? Uh, I'm 22. I'm 23. 23. I'm 22. I'm 34. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how do a bunch of young guys get into... 22, 23, 34. I think I dated her once. <laughs> how do a bunch of young guys get into a Harmony? Was this something that you all were a part of uh, as kids, or what What happened?
4: Yeah, I mean, really, it's it, we all come from uh, maybe high school teachers, things like that, and we all find central locations, like the Ambassadors, where we all come together. Uh, people of 22, 18, to 60, 70... You know, all ages. That's awesome.
1: And we just lost uh, David Crosby. He, uh, of course, was a master at this. Did you guys uh, like uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and the way they were able to harmonize? Did oh, that yeah. have an influence on you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good.
2: So what's your favorite genre to sing? Genre? Personally, I love musical theater. Uh-huh. Uh, oh. it, it, it translates very well into barbershop. You guys do any lay Mis? That's Michael's favorite. I wish. It's a, it's a little hard to do lay <laughs> Mis, but uh, yeah. You, get, you got some other songs for us that you can do? You got one more? Yeah, we got one more. This is Heart of My Heart, another cl- uh, barbershop classic. Heart okay. of My Heart, ladies and gentlemen. On mm. the voice of St. Louis, it's Tofu Concern. Oh. Mm. Uh. Gentlemen, tofu concern. Now, picture this.
1: Yeah.
2: Here you are. It's another Valentine's Day. Maybe you've been married, oh, I don't know, 32, 33 years, something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. And, you know, or two. You think you're two years. And, you know, you've kind of run out of original things to do for Valentine's Day. I mean, you go to dinner, here's a rose. Right. But no, imagine this by going to singingvalentine's.net, you order up four of these fellas. And they show up at your door. They're singing, let me call you, sweetheart. They're singing to your, to your bride. Just like that, tears begin to emerge down her cheek as she looks at you and she says, how thoughtful. I love you. And you say, sweetheart, you're the greatest. And all made possible because you've gone to singingvalentines.net and ordered up a full quartet. You guys, how many tunes would you do if you came to the door? Those two. Yep. <laughs>
1: right. uh, there you go. So, um, can can a, a stooge like me sit there and pretend like I'm singing, and uh, so I can tell my gal pal, "Hey, listen, I." I've been practicing with these guys. Watch here, we're gonna go, and then I just move my lips. And as long
4: like, as you pay, <laughs> that's not
2: capitalism. Yeah, exactly. The, the old episode of Andy Griffith. Remember that where Barney was in the choir, and they told him to just move your lips and not sing. Uh, that, that's how. That's how these it are would work. Olds,
1: for twenty they don't even remember that. <laughs> yeah, well, you
2: know, what, are you, what are you gonna do? Well, you got that fossil over there. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, can you, I hate to I hate to put you guys on the spot, uh, but I'm gonna do it anyway because we got a couple minutes here. Can you do "Take Me Out to the Ball Game"? No. All right. Yeah. No. KC. <laughs> you know, nobody knows the uh, the verse to that. What? Uh, about Take Me Out to the... There's a verse to it. Take Me Out to the Ball Game is just a chorus. Take Me Out really? to the... Yeah. But there's a verse. Mighty KC, da-da-da-da. Yeah, knew the players knew all their names. You could hear da 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 Take
1: me I think people want to hear them sing. All right. Well. <laughs> so uh, let's do this uh, let's give the website address one more time.
4: Yep, singingvalentines.net.
1: And people can go on there and you're still being able to be booked for this uh coming Tuesday? Yep, I believe up to the day before.
4: Nice. Really? Yeah.
2: Outstanding. And they're they're very uh, well-dressed and well-attired uh, young men. They'll uh, they'll do you up fine. Can you
1: can you uh re uh, reprise one of those songs to take us to commercial? Absolutely.
4: Keep the love light glowing in your eyes, so true. Let me call you, sweetheart, I'm in love.
2: Let Me Call You Sweetheart, written by Leo Friedman and published in 1910 in New York City, came out of Tin Pan Alley. They were producing songs by the hundreds back then in sheet music form. Take Me Out to the Ball Game, one of them. Uh, That piece came out one year before Alexander's Ragtime Band, which was a number one hit. In the U.S. in 1911, y'all met Casey Kasem, right? <laughs> okay. yeah. I want to thank uh, I want to thank Tofu Concern or Tofu Concern for co- how did you get that name? By the way,
4: it's a long story. It's a long story. All <laughs> it's right, a concerning story. Well, we don't
2: have that long, so uh, never mind. It's a fine story. Tofu Concern, they're part of the Ambassadors of Harmony, Singingvalentines.net. We need to step aside for the news, Michael. But when we come back, we're going to have former National Football League official Joe LaRue join us and give us a kind of behind the scenes look at what it's like to officiate a Super Bowl game. That's coming your way next on Camel X be in jupiter florida at cardinal spring training this coming monday i'll be bringing you the
1: latest from redbirds camp with reports mornings and afternoons and sports open line weeknights
0: from the tr hughes homes broadcast center spring training coverage sponsored in part by norm's bargain barn on your home of the cardinals KMOX.
1: Well, you know what that sound is. That means it's the NFL the and, boys, National the Football National
4: Football League. League.
1: And there's no bigger game that takes place every year than the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, John, I just got back in town. I was on a little trip, and I was with my good friend Joe LaRue, who happens to be one of a great lawyer in town. There He's he a is. labor attorney. He's sitting right here. Here in St. Louis. He was also an NFL line judge. How many years were you a line judge, Joe?
3: Actually, Side judge. Side uh, judge. 20 years in the league, uh, I spent about five or six of them as a field judge, which is the exact same position, except it's on the other side of the field, and you go in for extra points, field goes under the go post versus going in with the defense.
1: What What is the general
3: job of the side judge? Uh, normal uh, formation calls. You know, you're talking about scrimmage formation calls. You, you've got the passing game, the wide receiver on your side, uh, lead blocks on your side if the, you know, the play goes the other way. Then you've got to clean up behind it and whatever um, uh, plays out of bounds, what we call dead ball officiating, making sure we see whatever happens or who's first on whatever, doing something. Uh, putt plays are downfield with the receivers, returners, and kickoffs. You're on the um, kickoff lines in terms of, uh, Coverage, so it varies for the play,
2: and and you call everything from the side judge position. You call in holding if it occurs in your area. You, know, you call obviously pass interference, right when you see it. Offense and defense,
3: illegal formations, which you see no. not cover. Oh, you don't call the illegal. That's a line of scrimmage call. Okay, I would not get involved. I mean, even if I saw a false start. My uh, my partner in the sideline would not be happy if I threw a flag on that and he didn't. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. We all have a little bit of our own territory in response. And then what about uh, fumble recoveries? Is
2: that because you see this, you know, several officials kind of emerge into the pile there.
3: Is the side judge one of them? Can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on where it happens in the field. And a lot of times, even if you're not involved, let's say it happens right at the line of scrimmage, you got to get in there and help them get people out of the pile, clean up, you know, and kind of just make sure— Things don't get built. that's when you get hurt because they're they they'll mule kick and you know and pull each other off and whatever so you're trying to make sure it doesn't get out of control.
1: Well, you're no small man. You're six foot tall and you can get in between them, but you're getting in between some of the biggest mammals on the planet when these guys start fighting with each other.
3: I mean, you just disappear when you're between them. I mean, it's like you you just hope they recognize the fact that you got a black and white shirt on before they <laughs> do something to each other. You know. What was the pathway to Joe Larue? You're you're an old friend of my father's. Um, And I remember as
1: a kid, you would ref uh, high school and college games around town. Uh, Was
3: that was that the start of all this? Well, yeah, basically what happened when I got out of law school, I I got married and uh, I I got a job. Public defender's office in the county paying an astronomical sum of fifteen thousand (laughs) dollars. Nice. And, um, you know, I was still active in sports, basketball, softball, whatever. And what happened is I ran into some old coaches of mine from high school, and they said, you know, maybe you'd really like to get into officiating. So I started with basketball in 77 and then basketball and football in 78. And like you said, I was working freshman, sophomore JV games all over St. Louis, Illinois, St. Charles County, Jefferson County, and then uh, uh, eventually into a varsity schedule at the big games. And, And then in 1985, I got an opportunity to work my first college game with a good friend of mine who's passed away who also went to the NFL, uh, Carl Matson in Washington University, which was a hilarious outcome. But the bottom line, we, we worked that game, and then we had an interest in trying to go to college. So we started working college ball from one place to another. And then uh, early 1990s, um, we both were in the Gateway Conference, which was 1AA, wound up working the national championship championship um, Uh, And 96, um, and and already at some point in time, you know, the NFL, they they had scouting programs at that point. And they came out, told us, asked us to put in applications, and they started showing up at every game we were working. Wow. So you go through that, and then um, Carl got hired into the league a little earlier than I did, and then I um, had a couple more years. And then um, back then you had to go through the so-called preparation, training, uh, evaluation process of NFL Europe. I think I told you I made thirteen trips to to Europe um, from like uh, ninety eight to two thousand two or something like that to work over in that league and and thank to my firm for allowing me the the time to be away. But that was training, and they don't have that now, which is a, which is a huge mistake because that was a very good opportunity to work you know NFL level players, NFL coaches, a lot of who I worked with, with later in the league. Um, and you know, learn and work the rules in the NFL, which are vastly different than any other level. How, how large is an officiating crew for an NFL game? It's seven. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's surprising most people don't realize we have seven on the field, and the, NFL, and the colleges have eight. Uh, and then we have two people in a replay booth the replay official and the replay assistant. So we're actually a crew of nine.
1: Well, how much prep goes up? Just a regular game, not the Super Bowl. We'll deal with that next. But. Uh, just a regular Sunday game, what does a week look like for an official leading up to all the way through the game
3: well it's it, it really starts right after the game you work uh, you know that you 're expected to, and usually you 're on a plane flying home or coming home and uh, with a cocktail or two but you're you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you look through the film and normally you 're looking for your calls and watching stuff and making notes because we uh, we do a, a written report right after the game. But then we've got to do an online report by Monday morning at noon uh, in terms of more details and information about the game, plays we looked at, uh, which go, which goes to a supervisor in the NFL who's going to evaluate and grade every play of every game on every wow. official. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, you know, the, the league will start sending out training tapes, videos for us to look at. Um, everybody has their own, you know, way of preparing but at some point in time, you know, you're, you you got to follow up because they're going to tell you what they saw in the game. You're supposed to respond to it, whether you agree or disagree about a call. Uh, then you get a final evaluation by Wednesday. You might have Thursday to not think about it. But, you know, at some point in time, you know, we've got a rules test we take every week, you know, and uh, have to turn in. we got got... Um,
1: well that that they give you a scenario
3: and they say what would what would you call a lot of rules testing in the uh-huh. NFL I mean it, it goes from the time you start in May uh a huge huge test in July when you go to the to the clinic um and then your your weekly rules test and uh and then they get video a video of of, of both teams you're going to work that week leading up uh you know to and then the referee the crew may have some assignments and you know we all had crew assignments And then on Saturday, usually you got to be in the day before the game. Uh, We have a two- to three-hour pregame. A lot of it involves a a scouting, you know, review of last week's film, talking about, uh, um, you know, Problems in the league, things they're worried about, what concerns they have, so forth, and uh, it, it's 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 pretty involved. Uh, and you, do you have to meet, meet fitness requirements every year? Absolutely. They, probably one of the best uh, features of being in the league is that every year there's a mandatory, thorough physical you have to go through, where everything you could possibly have out there is tested, um, and they uh, look at it. it, and it so let's forth. me out. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you were in jeopardy. being yeah. <laughs> But the good thing about it, it, it makes you stay. I mean, I mean, one what, what part of it, whether it's right or wrong is, you know, appearance. And um, I mean, a lot, some of the best officials I ever saw weren't necessarily the most athletic ones, but, uh, uh, but to the extent that, the, and that's changed a lot. You, you start so talking about television and, the, what, and all the games.
1: What do you do to get prepped? Do you guys have, we, we all know that when football starts, there's a training camp and these guys go to different places. What do referees, because the rules change from year to year as well, so what do you guys do to get ready for a season? Well, I mean,
3: the rules do change, and that's why we get, we're get we tested on it, you know, and so forth uh, constantly. Um, the biggest part of it, and again, I think the most important part, of you ask about full-time, and I, I don't think full-time is necessarily the answer because they're not set up for it. But what what is the best thing to help you become a better official is the the more plays you can look at, the better you're going to be. And by that, I mean on the field. Mm -hmm. And and they've they've gone a little different direction now in that where they're sending whole crews to training camps with the teams uh, for three or four days, and and you get an opportunity to work hours and hours with them. Um, And that's what they need to do, continue to do that. It it costs them a lot of money, but it's worth it. Uh, But that's the big thing, you know, being on the field working. This has become a family business. It is, well, my son's in it, but uh, I there are a lot of relatives in the league, which may be one reason why he's having to wait. But, uh, uh, you know, he's he's been in the Southeast Conference uh, for several years. He's worked uh, the, the SEC championship game the last three years. which wow. is their, their number one assignment. So I'm hopeful, but you know what? He's very happy with what he does, and he's good. Great family man, and... uh uh, he, he's got it all in perspective. I'm the one that's frustrated. <laughs> Joe LaRue is our guest. He's
2: a St. and He's an attorney in town, but he spent 20 years as a, an official in the National Football League, most of them as a side judge. You know, Joe, one of the things <clears throat> that has always fascinated me, you'll have a play in the end zone, and two officials are, look, are looking at it, and one on one side has got the player's backside and the other's got the player's front side. It's a diving catch. So you both are looking at that play from different perspectives and it may from the back look like a clean catch and from the front he saw that the ball hit the turf and there's got to be this instantaneous silent communication between those two officials so you don't get conflicting signals. Walk me
3: through something like that. Well that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, there are a lot of things like that where I may have a strong opinion on whether or not I've got a catch or a fumble whatever, but if I can't see the ball, I've got nothing. I'm not I'm not getting in there, okay? And and normally on every play, you know, somebody's got to look. And 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 you do it this long, you have a pretty good idea who's got to look, and, and they have to step up and make that call. Uh, sometimes I may come in differently because I may have also, you know, for example, I see the ball out really fast. Yep. And I'm thinking, boy, I don't know if he had it long enough for a catch and so forth, and I may raise the question. But bottom line, the guy with the best look should be making the call. and And, and you want to have that – silent
2: communication uh, before any hand signals are given. You don't want to raise the arms up for a touchdown
3: unless you're sure. Well, you know, the classic situation was the 2012 uh, lockout. We didn't strike. They locked us out Uh where you had that Seattle Green Bay game. The reason why we all got – our jobs back and a lot of money was because those two guys had two different calls <laughs> yes, in the end zone. You yes. got one guy with those hands up for I a touchdown and the other guy waving it off. <laughs> I, I turned to my wife. I said, I'll be going back to work this week. This <laughs> <laughs> just made a lot of money. Um, so, but that, that's, that's critical. And again, you know, you learn that that's, that's what all the years of experience and training, you know, when I got in the league, I had 20 years of training. A lot of these guys don't have that now, which I think is a problem. Um, but that's where they go. Well, we're going to step aside, but Joe, you're going to stick around
2: with us because when we come back, we're going to hear what it's like to work a Super Bowl game on the field as an official. And maybe we'll all watch this game on Sunday with a whole new perspective after we hear from Joe. That's coming up after this on KMOX. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX.
1: Welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly show. We're joined by Joe LaRue, a local attorney, former NFL referee, also a Super Bowl referee, uh, line judge, right? Side, side judge. Side judge. Um, the uh, instant replay. It's changed football forever. Uh, it's, it's a part of nearly every play now. Uh, through those 20 years, I bet you saw that go from its infancy to whatever it is today.
3: Yeah, well, when I started out to, in 2002, I mean, we had replay officials, but they, they were not involved in a whole lot because back then the only way they got involved was if a, a coach challenged call, right. or when we got into the last two minutes of, a, of, of the half. Uh, but that's evolved big time now. I mean, we've gone from a situation back then we were not mic'd up on the field. Uh, then the referee and one other official, myself, because I was usually the backup referee, were mic'd up to go to the booth. So there was two of us, but we were only talking to the to the people in the stadium, okay, the replay people. Then at some point in time, you know, they also brought in the aspect of New York, being available to listen in and get involved. And then everybody on the field was mic'd up, you know, talking so they could talk to each other, talk to the, talk to, uh, the stadium replay people, and also New York is there. So you've done one
1: Super Bowl, and we, we, we kind of stole the thunder. It was the Lights Out Super Bowl. Uh,
3: tell us, I mean, this is the pinnacle of your career, correct? Well, uh, there's no question it was, you know, one of the most exciting things I ever got to do. And, I, you know, you, you know <laughs> we used to laugh when you're in the league for, for a number of years where you don't have a Super Bowl because every year you go into the grocery store, you go in to get a coffee, and, hey, are you working a Super Bowl? Like, it's something that everybody gets to do. <laughs> And you'd love to be able to answer that question and say yes, but when you can't answer yes, and then every year, you know, they ask you again. And so so you finally get it, so now you can answer yes. And then the funny part about that is then the next year, hey, you got to work this Super Bowl too. And you're like, <laughs> no, I'm very happy to have the one I got,
2: you know. Right. Cuz there's got to be the number's got to be north of 150 officials, right? In in football.
3: No, 121. 121. 17 well actually 119. 17 crews of seven officials. Ah. And they might have one or two people to fill in them who are also but they swing.
2: And and you're with a crew the whole season. So you, the seven of you are together for every week, every yes, Sunday. Yes, that's correct.
3: Until the
2: Super Bowl. Until the playoffs. Uh, the, playoffs. Until the playoffs. And, and playoffs. how does so how does the selection process? So Joe LaRue that they didn't draw your name out of a hat? to work the Super Bowl.
3: I mean, like I said earlier, they have a full-scale evaluation process going on every game. And, and of course, they do that across the season and they rank the officials at each position. And, um, you know, back then, not as many officials got to work any playoff games, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, but then they added playoff games. They added, um, they went from two alternates to now to like five or seven, you know, on a game, you know, when they get to the playoffs. Um. But, again, it's supposed to be based on how you, you ranked out or how you did. And the crew size is the same. It's still seven. Like in baseball, they add the left field and right field
2: umpires uh, to right. the playoffs, but they don't add officials in, in well, the Well, you'll,
3: you'll have the alternates on right. the sideline wearing those black jackets, and they're supposed to be helping, you know, in terms of communications and so forth.
1: So, uh, at, lots of us have been fortunate enough here when we used to have a football team to go down and see the undertaking that is an NFL game. There's really nothing like the NFL, from security to organization. Uh, give us a little comparison of how that's different once you hit the playoffs and then ultimately the Super Bowl.
3: Well, you know, we're always there three hours for the game, and there's a lot of uh, administrative responsibilities we have. Um, but when you start talking about the Super Bowl, and, and the Super Bowl, Super Bowl more so than the playoff games, because the playoff games again, they're 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 big deals, but it's not an NFL production, you know. Um, uh, so you know more cameras are involved, of course, but the cameras jump, you know, significantly going up from one game to the week to the next. Um, but by the time you get to the Super, Bowl, well, actually, the two championship games before the the Super Bowl are actually what I think the biggest games of the year, the officials. I mean, you don't know whether you're ever going to get a Super Bowl, but the championship games are supposed to be the best team, best four teams playing, and they're playing to go to the Super Bowl. So we've always thought of that as being the most important game that you can officiate during the season and, and a reflection on how you did. Um, but then the Super Bowl, when you get there, you go in earlier, you've got uh, two or three days before the uh, game, you've got a TV uh, production meeting, and you go there for rehearsal, dress rehearsal. And that's
1: and, what it's all about, right? TV is the um, most important well, thing to the know, NFL. You jump
3: from anywhere from seven or eight cameras on a Sunday in Cleveland uh, to the playoffs, maybe you know, 12, 15 uh, cameras, and then you jump into the Super Bowl and you might have 62 cameras. Wow. 62. That is that is absolutely incredible. I, I think that was the number they had because I know it was in the high 50s or 60s because I'm sitting there thinking, so you know you got to kind of be careful about what you do with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want to pick a fan, your nose. <laughs>
2: obviously, you're a fan, a football fan, big, he, time. He's a big sports guy. Uh, how does Joe Larue watch a football game differently than somebody like me? Because having been an official, I'll
3: give you a classic example. Uh-huh. Uh, my uh, brother-in-law was one of the top high school football coaches at McClure North for thirty years. Very yeah. successful. Oh, good program up there. Yeah, and 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 you know, so he's got his coaches, buddies, and so forth. And then I had my officiating buddies. So every year on New Year's Day, we all gather at my house to watch college football all day long. Yeah. <laughs> and the coaches are watching the players, and the coaches, and the officials are watching the officials. And all we're talking about, was that a good call? I don't think that's a hold and whatever. And the coaches are over there, you know, t- screaming about something else. But, you know, and that's probably how my son got into it. I mean, our focus is, I watch the officials. A lot of them are good friends of mine, or I know them. And I could tell right away where I, whether I think they're in a good position or not and so forth. What, what do you think is the most missed call in football on a regular basis? You know, missed is not the word I would use. Uh, I would say the one most controversial is either holding or pass interference because mm-hmm. there's a lot of judgment, a lot of judgment. Uh, and, and, in fact, I don't think people realize that in, in the NFL rule book, there are holding uh, plays and calls that are illegal. You're allowed to hold in the situation. You know, if you had a running play going to the right side and the guy holds on the left side, you know, and it doesn't affect the play, you don't have a foul. If you do, you throw that, you're in bigger trouble because you just created a problem, okay? Pass interference is so much judgment because these players are just unbelievably talented. The one thing I used to tell people that kind of surprised them, although it shouldn't, these guys are so good they practice cheating, and I don't mean that in a yeah, bad way. Right? They want to know when we go to training camp. Which I'll go over with the receivers and, and uh, uh, the defensive backs, and they're 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 doing everything they can figure out. You know, can I do this? Can I get away with this? Are you going to call that? And that's how they get ready too. And then what they do when the season starts, you know, they may hold early in the game to see if you are going to call it. And if you don't, they'll start holding more. I mean, all of that's part of the process. Um, but there is a lot of judgment comes in in terms of. You know, I, I used to tell this story and nobody understands it, but like we go to we'd go to clinics in July and we'd have fifty one of us who work downfield make pass interference call. And this is how difficult it is. So I'm not being critical. They could put up one play and we'd all look at it, you know, and, and how many here think that's pass interference? Twenty-six guys put up. Yeah. How many think it's not? Twenty-five guys put up. All I'm saying, it's a very, very difficult play depending on your perspective you know so and
2: is that reviewable now pass interference it was
3: remember and they had yeah terrible results and whatever yeah so no it's not yeah that's what i thought well joe larue fascinating Uh, i'm so
2: glad
1: you came hey before we got 10 seconds here you you got a fancy ring on what's that
3: uh if you work the super bowl game they give you a very very nice ring uh that is a nice So remember that and uh, i i treasure it and uh I wear it more so than my wedding ring, but definitely because I can't get the wedding ring on my finger. But, uh, <laughs> I'm really there. but anyway, no, I'm very proud of it. 20 fortunate.
2: years as an NFL official was Joe LaRue, an attorney here in St. Louis. Great human, too. fascinating conversation. Seems like a really great guy. Appreciate your time. The show is next. I want to thank James O'Sullivan behind the glass, Frank Glad for his excellent production here on KMOX.